Roughly 2,000 years ago, a man stood on a hill near Capernaum. He taught a few thousand people about a new way to live. The old ways weren't going to hold up anymore. Things were changing, and he was going to change them. No longer would wealth be the measure of success. No longer would you demand an eye for an eye. That day, he challenged everyone to be different, to experience a new normal. The words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount have been called the manifesto of the king. He speaks not only of a saving grace that changes our hearts, but a transforming grace that changes our lives. Starting today and going through the second week of October, we'll be looking at the Beatitudes, eight blessings from Jesus that teach us who in this life will be happy and blissful. But we aren't going to look at them in a purely theological way. Specifically, we're going to look at how they teach us to live a a different life, different from the world, almost abnormal in a way. Jesus had very specific instructions for how we are to deal with the world because really we are all in this together. So hear now this portion from the story of God as it is written in the book that we love, beginning in the fifth chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and, his, and he sat down and his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and teaching them, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And blessed are the Pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Because in the same way, They persecuted the prophets 
who came before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Please be seated. So this is a series about redemption, really. There are a lot of moving parts to it and and a lot of things to talk about. We're going to talk about the first two verses today. And so just a little bit of background. This is a very famous passage of Scripture. Um, And and people have a lot of opinions about it and there are a lot of things that they think about. It's very familiar and so sometimes when it's familiar, then it's easy to just kind of blow it off. But we're going to take it verse by verse. And really, this scripture is about your heart. It's not about emotions. It's not about happy, because that can change with circumstances. It's, it's where is our focus? And Jesus was speaking to these crowds of people, these huge crowds. And he was asking them, where is your heart? And for us today, you know, it can, can it be money or work or sports? Not that that's ever a thing here in Texas. Uh, Family, leisure, all those are important things. But I think Jesus wants us to go deeper than that. And so I would ask you today, how's your heart? How is your heart? Matthew's a teaching gospel. There's a tremendous amount of information in it. And and when he talks about how Jesus went up and, and sat down and opened his mouth and began to speak... In the Greek, that is something incredibly significant is going to be happening. Something really life-changing. It's not just focused on blessings, but a radical change. He was talking about a radical change of life, a way of looking at life. When he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, they lived in a world where the Roman government controlled everything. And power and money and all of that was just uh, of the utmost. And he's talking about the poor in spirit and those who mourn. So I want you to think with me about a radical way of living today that Jesus was saying to those that surrounded him on the hillside. They probably were just uh, near the Sea of Galilee. So all the, the, not jet skis or whatever, but, you know, boats on the Sea of Galilee Activity going on, and Jesus gathered a huge crowd, and he began to speak to them. The word blessed is so much more than emotion, but ultimate well-being, wholeness, and peace. And it has a direct relation in this passage to the things of our heart, the things that we see that maybe we may be passionate about, the things that matter to us. Um, the things that really drive our lives. What are we passionate about? The first passage is, or the first verse is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in that, he's talking about um, those that are not arrogant about where they are spiritually, but rather those that understand we really have nothing without God. Poor in spirit is talking about our recognition that we have great poverty spiritually if we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so when he talks about poor in spirit, it, 
it would be those in society that have a clear understanding. It may not be their economic level, but certainly how they see themselves. When When we feel like we are strong in ourselves, when we feel like we can fix it or we can do it, Um, I don't know about how that works for you, but usually for me that doesn't work so well. Can anybody tell me the the verse of, um, what is the chapter and verse of God helps those who help themselves? (laughs) Anyone? Anyone? Thank you, (laughs) counselor. And, And while we hear that a lot, Spiritually, sometimes it comes to the place of, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your help. We are all spiritually in need. I think think that's a fair statement. We all need God. The good news was to be shared to the poor, to those poor in spirit. And it, it... reminds us of the passage in Isaiah 61, which is also quoted in Luke 4, when Jesus was kind of giving his job description. And he said, he said that he came, Isaiah 61, he came to bring good news to the poor. First thing he said, that he had come to bring good news to the poor. And that he would bind up the brokenhearted and heal those crushed in spirit. And so in this crowd of people, probably most really dealing with issues of poverty, really dealing with recognizing where they were without him, at some point we have to recognize that we need help and ask God to bring help to us. Sometimes the greatest, most powerful prayer you can pray is, Lord, help me. Lord, help my kid. Lord, help my parents. I'm guessing most teachers would be grateful if kids prayed, Lord, help my teacher. (laughs) In the three Gospels, there's a story of a woman that was very sick. And she had been sick for 12 years. And she had gone to many doctors. And no one could help her. And she had spent all that she had, Scripture says. And for 12 years, uh, she was losing blood. And so while I am not a doctor, I'm guessing being anemic would be number one on her list of problems. But she was really sick. And Jesus was in a crowd. I don't know if you've been in a crowd lately, like at a football game or something, where you're just kind of wall to wall with people. That's typically not my favorite experience as an introvert, I will confess readily. Although certainly I've done that. But Jesus was in a crowd, and a man had come to him and said, come and heal my daughter. She's really sick. And so they were on the way to do that. And this woman with the issue of blood, with the hemorrhage, thought, if I can just touch his clothes. One gospel says the hem of his garment, which was probably the prayer shawl. If I can just touch him. I'll be healed. Now, because she had hemorrhaging, she was unclean. And she really wasn't supposed to get out in public. She really wasn't supposed to uh, touch anyone. If she touched them, they were unclean. And that was a big deal. 
So I want you to think with me what her life would be like for 12 years. Do you think anyone touched her? Or wanted to? Or wanted to be around her? How hard would that be? And the Bible says she spent everything she had and there was no help. And she thought, if I can just touch the hem of his cloak, I'll be healed. And so she did that. The Bible says she comes up behind him and reaches out, determined. Think about the crowd. And this lady touching everyone, <laughs> making them unclean, as she, as she is determined to get to Jesus. And she does. And then she thinks, okay, I'll just go away. And he begins to ask, who touched me? And his disciples said, everyone is touching you. Why are you saying, who touched me? And yet he tur- it said he turned around and he started looking. And when she realized she couldn't hide it, she came forward. And it says she fell at his feet in fear and trembling and admitted what had happened. And he spoke to her and said, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now I want you to think about women in that day were kind of like on the socioeconomic ladder. They were kind of under livestock. I know this is real affirming to half the people in the room, but that, that was society in that day. And if you were unclean, you were like at negative 13, right? And the Son of God, the Savior of the world, turned around and said, Who touched me? And looked her in the face. Can you imagine what that would be like? All your life, or for 12 years, people wouldn't meet your eye, even when you could get out, wouldn't get near you. And he said, Daughter, some translations say, Daughter of God, your faith has healed you. Her persistence. Her willingness to risk everything in touching him, she made him unclean by law. By grace, Jesus healed her. Can you imagine what that was like? To look into his face, we sing songs about it, but can you imagine after years and years of sickness and disease... That she looked into his face. He sought her out. And she was made whole. It wasn't just physical healing. It was emotional healing. It was spiritual healing. The one that made us. Knows what we need in healing. And in his touch. And while it may not always be. Physical healing exactly as we see it. I am absolutely convinced. That Pastor John's father John Allen Sr. is being healed even in this hour that he will see the one he has served all these years so I want you to think about the significance of poor in spirit and that's not that we have issues with self-esteem but that we recognize who we are and that there's a creator and we're not him And when we try to do that, 
Doug Miller used to say to us and staff, I'm sure quite lovingly, was his intent, but he would say, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. For those of you starting driving or whatever, a big part at right after don't text is stay in your lane, right? You know, I mean, it's kind of like, really? What's the deal there? I, I, recognize that we can't bring healing. We can be vessels of God's Holy Spirit, but God is the one that does the healing. And he heals in a lot of ways and in a lot of different measures. But it's in, it's in, a, in a time of grace that he does it. Some scholars say that Jesus being on the... It wasn't a mountain by the Sea of Galilee. I mean, they're kind of like hills and stuff. But that the law was given to Moses up on a mountain. And Jesus gives grace at the Sea of Galilee. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh my goodness, that's everything, right? That's everything. The next verse, the next verse is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I always thought that, I always saw that as mourning like grieving, like when someone died. But truly in the scripture, it's, it's more about regret. It's not mourning like someone has died, but it's regret over sin. And in the Greek, truly it is like the strongest form of the word for mourning he uses here. So it's like tremendous regret over our sin, over the sin of our nation, over the sin in the world. It's truly a point of repentance. And repentance is so essential in life. I mean, how many times do you, do you have to say, please forgive me, that was, that was not right. To me, one of the most powerful passages in, or phrases in communion is where in confession we say, in the name of Jesus Christ you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. As a pastor, there have been times people have, have sat in my office and hurtful things had happened in the church. I know that's a surprise to you. It only happened once. I'm kidding. But, you know, things happen. Things just happen. And there have been times that I've had to say, on behalf of the church, I ask your forgiveness. To be able to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. It is everything. We are broken. Spiritual gift of stating the obvious, right? And it's not like we are all crumbling today. But at different times in your life, you've probably known brokenness. Or you've probably known really difficult circumstances or things that you couldn't fix. And what, what we get with this is as we repent, as we return to God, repentance isn't just going the opposite direction, but returning to God. As we do that, then he brings redemption. He brings comfort. He brings wholeness. So I encourage you this day that, that with looking at these two verses, that we need a Savior. Without God, we are incredibly poor in spirit. Where would you be today without the Lord? Truly, where would you be?
I really don't even want to think about it much. When we acknowledge in truth things that have happened and where we need to repent, then it brings an openness with God that perhaps we've not experienced before. When we're willing to say, yes, this happened, and Lord, I repent of my sin, or even in our past, acknowledging something that happened, not to live in the past, but just acknowledging, yes, that happened, then God can move in that as we repent for our part or acknowledge that maybe we need to forgive someone. Forgiveness doesn't mean it was okay. We're all in agreement, right? Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation, Forgiveness means you're putting it in God's hands, that you're taking your hands off of it, and you're putting it in God's hands. And I would also suggest that forgiveness is a process. Sometimes it's an event, often it's a process, but we still forgive. In these last two verses, Jesus wants us to see God and to see ourselves in truth. That we understand that God is gracious and loving and cares for us. And yet our sin will separate us from him. And so in forgiveness, we are restored. We are restored. We need him. We need him. And all that he did for us. And to so see his heart of grace and love and caring for us all. And it's not just those of us in this room, but everybody you come in contact with. They need him. We need him. And frankly, we need them to know the Lord. I sometimes, well, fairly regularly go to McDonald's. And there is a young man that's one of the checkout guys. um, (laughs) And I've been praying for him. And at some point, I think I need to talk to him. But um, I am not the most discerning individual on planet Earth. But if I can see that he's on drugs, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. You know, and he'll just tell me he's tired. And I'm like, you're lying through your teeth, but I haven't said that yet. But I mean, he, he absolutely just, you know, if I can see it, oh my gosh, you know. And this morning as I was about to drive off, he was coming in pretty sure late for work. You know, and I don't care. But I mean, his life. His life. Where is he going to be? So we talked to the kids about the Band-Aid. William for the score of recognizing that it was a Band-Aid. And while this can help a lot, this doesn't really help your heart. But God can fix that. And God can redeem. He doesn't strain to heal. He doesn't strain to, you know, it's not like begging. It's a relationship with him. That when we recognize we can't fix it. And we get in trouble when we do. At least I get in trouble when I try to fix it. It usually doesn't work out so good. To let God work and let God move in our lives. To realize that we are poor in spirit. But that as we receive him, ours is the kingdom of heaven. When we see the regret of sin in our world and repent over it, we do know his comfort. 
Oh my goodness. He has so much for us. And there is so much, as we walk this road of discipleship, there is so much that we have yet to learn about him and his love for us, our trust for him. And whether you've been a believer five minutes or whether you've been a believer, you know, decades, it is still a walk. It is still a journey until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. We thank you. For the cross. And we thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the outpouring of your spirit to fill us and renew us. And, oh God, it's our confession that we are poor in spirit, that without you we are nothing. It just doesn't work. Life doesn't work. And, God, we do pray for forgiveness for our sin, for the sin of the world. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you, God, for how you care for us. Thank you that as we embrace truth about who you are and who we are and what's happened to us, that you bring healing in a mighty, mighty way. Oh, God, hear the cry of our heart this day. In Jesus' name, amen.